Hey and welcome to the Curious Cult Show. You are currently listening to a curiously quarantined live recorded episode. These were recorded in front of a live audience digitally on a webinar. So please don't look for the chats. Don't look for the questions. Just enjoy me and the guests talking about really interesting things and obsessing over our curiosities. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. Please give us a like, a rating, a review, and a share everywhere you can possibly think. That's what keeps me curious and interested. And for now, enjoy the talk. John, welcome uh, on this uh, brisk Thursday morning. Thank you for joining me. Um, Wonderful. Before, thanks, man. Before we dive in, I want to explain to everyone just how the platform works. Um, so on the right-hand side of the screen, we've got our chat. Uh, if you've got questions, there is an ask a question button at the bottom of your screen. Please click that, ask your question, and then we can vote it up or down to see which questions you want to take from the audience. Uh, there are also polls. I might do some polls right now. There is one. Please click on the poll. Give me your answer. Are you ready for the new world? Hell yeah, bring it on. Absolutely not. Let's go back, please. Or what is this new world? Um, and I'm sure that John and I will be explaining what the hell that means uh, <clears throat> shortly. Uh, so most of the people who've joined us uh, have some vague idea of who I am and what I do. Um, I have no doubt that they have the same for you, John, but uh, I like to ask my guests to basically introduce themselves because you can do a better job than I can. So tell us who the hell you are and why we should care. Well, great to be here. Thank you so much for having me again. Hello to all the <clears throat> listeners and chatters, especially Yossi. Um, Yossi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is Yossi in New York, Nick? Uh, is he still I don't think so. I think he's in, I think he's in Joburg. Yossi, tell us. Tell us in the chat. Yeah, tell us where you are, Yossi. Stuck in Stuck, stuck in okay. Joburg. I don't know so there much stuck in Not in New York. <clears throat> anyway, um, guys, I am uh, a human being fascinated with human psychology, futurism, neuroscience, and business strategy. I combine these four topics. Uh, I write books. I do talks and I run strategy sessions around figuring out the psychology that's stopping leaders from making decisions about the future, categorizing and contextualizing the future to give people more courage, and then helping them ask new questions about how they can show up in a future that many of them are not really familiar with. And so writing books, lecturing and speaking, and also got a couple of my own businesses, but I'm just somebody who's fascinated like you are, Nick, just really curious about the topics that I love, and I just dive Oh, thanks, John. Uh, good intro. Uh, so, John, uh, we obviously know each other as friends and have done so for quite a while. Uh, I remember being 16 years old and drinking at Primi Piazza in Joburg. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the reason I bring that up is I've kind of watched you deal with uncertainty and adaptability over the last five years, um, not to this pandemic scale, but you turned 40 and you're, you threw your world upside down. Um, so the kind of perspective shift is is something you're used to. Um, when this all kicked in, most of your revenue is event-driven, live-driven, uh, travel-driven, uh, and you've worked really hard over four years to build up this incredible platform, and then the bottom just fell out. So what went through for you when this all happened? Like, talk us through what you felt like and what it, what it felt like for you. Well, I was sitting in Amsterdam um, just delivering one of my biggest talks ever for Gartner and their global symposium. And next thing I got an email right after each other canceling about eight to 15 talks that I had lined up, uh, all dollar-based work, all living part of my new reality and dream that I've been working on so long, as you mentioned. And all of a sudden, it was all taken away. And uh, it was a shock. It was a, it was a hit to the gut that um, one, it wasn't only my career that was just now um, put into question, but the city I was living in was Dubai, where I was needed to live. Um, the world that I created for myself there, the community that I started to build was just starting to get momentum. I'd been there for about six months. And then all of a sudden, everything got taken away. So I had to make some radical decisions of firstly, where do I want to be when the lockdown starts happening? And remember, about a month and six weeks ago, many of us didn't know what lockdown was. <clears throat> we had just started seeing Wuhan do it, or like maybe Italy had just started doing it. And we were like, wow, that's crazy. They've locked down 60 million people. That was kind of the... the <clears throat> but I was sitting on the beach in Dubai, and I realized that, look, if the lockdown arrives in Dubai, I don't want to be on the 20th floor of an apartment block by myself. And so I prioritized family, food, 
and sort of space. And so I came back to and South forest. Africa. And forest, yes. Family food space. and forest, yeah. Forest. Yes, there we yeah. go. So, but that was, I, I didn't even think about business first. I thought about my own, my Maslow hierarchy of needs. I was like, okay, where do I need to actually be for the next period of time? And obviously being yeah. a family priority. The second thing I started doing, and to be really honest with you and frank with you, still figuring out what the next step is because businesses themselves that I used to build strategies for also don't have income anymore. So many of them don't have income. And the ones that do are are almost like in cash reserve sort of situations. They're not really into splashing. And so to be honest with you, I am figuring it out daily. We are changing pricing structures. We're also changing the way we deliver talks and strategy sessions. We've moved away from hour to 20 minutes plus do your polls. So we're figuring it out as we're going along, but just like the hospitality industry and just like the airline industry and just like many of these other industries that have just been taken out by the knees, I was exactly the same. So really just about first was my Maslow, Maslow hierarchy of needs. And secondly was really trying to figure out and recreate my brand with a new message. And also remember anything we were talking about before COVID-19 is irrelevant because it doesn't mean anything. You have to have a lens of COVID-19 now. And so, yeah, so we're still figuring it out, to be honest, but uh, making good headway. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick up on that point a bit later that like nothing before this matters and everything after this has changed. I think you and I, we'll have a nice debate about that because I'm not convinced that everything is going to be as different as we think it is altogether. I think they're going to be bits and parts, um, but let's get into that a bit later. So setting the top, yeah. Let me just qualify yeah. that is as somebody who built strategies into the future, everything's yes. changed. Will we go course, back to yeah. normality? I agree. Yes, there'll be certain normalities, yes. but not what sure. I speak about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we'll discuss. That's why I thought this would be interesting. Um, okay, so setting the tone for basically the rest of this conversation, um, I saw recently that you've dived headfirst into writing a trilogy of books. Um, so talk to us about what that is, and then we'll carry on the conversation with that as the tone. So I was I was busy with my fourth book, uh, Evolution of Value, when this happened. And again, like I said, uh, the book is called Evolution of Value, meaning the value that's needed in the future. And COVID-19 happened and all of a sudden what I was writing again wasn't as relevant. So after taking stock and arriving at my family farm, I started thinking to myself, well, what do I want to be speaking about now? And I realized that writing a whole book in this period of time where everything's changing at such a rapid pace, you almost don't have the time to finish a 40,000 word book. And by the time you finish it, most probably everything's changed. So what I decided to do was bring out three mini books. And so five to 8,000 word ebook, booklet, long essay, whatever you want to call it, just trying to track what we need to do and how we need to do it. So the books are called Future Now, which came out about three weeks ago. That's done incredibly well. I just got a message from New York that's going around the, the, the sort of groups in New York at the moment, which is wonderful. And really Future Now is about the mental and emotional state that we find ourselves in, where all our future memories have been canceled and our survivor consciousness has been triggered. And also this magnifying of any underlying emotions that we had as now being really brought to the surface. You know, if you were anxious before, you a million times more anxious. If you're angry, you were, anyway, all of these things. So Future Now was a nine-step program to the emotional state. The second book is called Future How, and it was motivated because I kept getting the same questions from clients is what does the future look like? How do we show up in this new world? What are the scenarios? And my response I kept finding was exactly the same. I kept saying, I think your question's lacking empathy. And I think your question is broken because what you're doing is you're wanting to get back straight into the world that we're in pre-COVID-19 when most of us really didn't love that world. We were running from pillar to post, driven by anxiousness. We could never arrive. It was almost an overheated industrial revolution. And we are a much more sophisticated being now, still practicing business models from 100 years ago. So I kept responding in the same way. And I thought to myself, It's remiss of me as a strategist and a futurist to come in and help businesses get back straight onto the same boat that they were on before. So what I started doing was trying to figure out how could I design a new narrative about a new capitalism, a new type of economy where it's more sustainable, that we are not 
driven by growth at any result, where the earth is dying, employees are dying, people are all in anxiousness, and all we have is profits. And as long as we're profitable, we keep going. And even the people that are making the profits aren't that happy, ultimately, because all they want is a little bit more. So I started writing a book on the new economics, but I woke up um, about a week and a half ago with a, a, like almost a real anxiousness. And I thought to myself, how am I going to put anything out about economics when I'm not an economic specialist? I mean, I, I, I kind of have a vision of what I think it should be. And I'm really good yeah. friends with Iraj Abedion, who's a globally renowned economist and somebody who helped write the South African constitution in the economics sort of section, a lecturer and a doctor in the world of economics. And so I phoned him up and said, look, Iraj, this is my vision. I need gravitas. I need somebody who can really like bed down my theories. And so he said, send me what you have. I sent it to him and he said, we spot on on the same sort of um, level. So now together we've written the book called Future How, which now comes out tomorrow morning, uh, just in time for the Maverick interview, the Daily Maverick interview. And so that's Amazing. Future How, uh, which is now going to be extending into a book afterwards that Iraj and I are going to be partnering on. And then the next book is called Future Next. And what I'm writing in Future Next is, how do consumers need to behave? How do employees need to behave? And how do decision makers need to behave? And I'm tracking trends of a new conscious world that I'm trying to build a new narrative for based on how do you behave as a consumer, an employee, and as a decision maker. So those are the sort of three things that I'm writing about right now. Very cool. Uh, all makes a lot of sense. And we're also going to get into uh, what's going to change and what's not going to change a little bit further on. And I think you're well positioned to talk to us about that. Uh, for those of us, uh, for those of you who are watching, please ask a question, answer the poll, engage in chat, tell John how much you like his new glasses. Um, let's just keep the conversation going and stay engaged. <laughs> uh, Yossi asked one question. I'm going to stand up and show you, Yossi. I'm not wearing my boxer shorts. I'm wearing denims with this jacket. That's what I'm wearing. I'm actually also wearing shoes and socks. <laughs> that's that's my standard. I do get dressed every morning. Um, so, John, we, we've got lots of mutual friends and lots of friends around the world. Um, mm. We've discussed this a little bit uh, in our own conversations, but it's been quite interesting to see how our colleagues and friends have reacted. Some mm. super positive, some super negative, some very action orientated, some very passive wait and see. So what are you seeing around you from your colleagues and friends that have impressed you, the good and the bad? So look, um, I wrote about it in Future Now, and it's really just about the magnifying and irritation of any underlying emotions that were never dealt with. And I think friends of mine and very close friends have never dealt with certain traumas that have happened in their lives. And trauma is a weird thing because you only really start dealing with trauma when you feel safe or if you've got a lot of time on your hands. And often people will remark that as soon as they got into a loving relationship, stuff comes up from 15 years ago that they didn't even know was inside their psychology and psyche. And so what's yeah. happened now with this time that we have is given people to really, not willingly, but just because they've got the time on their hands now having to deal with the trauma. So I've seen some people take some real strain and it's because they haven't done the work. And I've been doing an extensive amount of self-work since I went bankrupt at 30 years old. So for me, I've gotten myself out of that sort of angst and resentment and suffering and poor me mentality in many aspects of my lives. Trust me, I have them in others, but on the, on the broader scale, I've seen myself become a creator in this and I've seen you do this and I've seen one or two of my other friends do this, but I have seen some friends of mine that have disappeared who really just can't face the world. Uh, other friends of mine have gone into anger. And again, these are all based on underlying issues that were never dealt with. So this is just a magnifying glass for us to understand that we need to deal with these traumas. And if we don't, they really stay with us for most of our lives and we become angry old people. I mean, don't even know why, but it's something that happened when we're 15 and we haven't dealt with. Yeah, and the, the the thing that keeps coming up for me a lot when I talk to people who aren't doing this work, the self-work that you talk about, because, I mean, again, you and I talk about this a lot, and I've spent the last five or ten years also trying to overcome what, I'm, what I've dealt with a lot is my ego. And I think this is a nice segue into the next question, um, that I'm seeing a lot of people struggle with very fundamental things like their cars, like if you spending a metric shit ton of money on a car to make yourself feel good, how do you feel now that it's been sitting in your garage for two months and no one can judge you because you drive a Beamer? Like, are you reevaluating that? And for me, that's very ego driven. 
people are holding on to these things like they matter in this new world, but they don't. Fundamentally, those things are not going to make you feel better because when I'm locked in my bedroom, which is where I'm sitting right now, I don't have a big house. That stuff doesn't matter. So, I mean, ego for me is a big one. So, look, I think what we do is we suffer from these invisible stories that we tell ourselves within our psyche. We suffer, many of us, from the drama triangle of victimhood without even realizing we're suffering from them. And when we are driven by ego, what we're actually saying is we are more determined of how we act based on other people's perspectives of us than we do on based on our own perspective. And that just comes down to lack of self-worth. But that lack of self-worth has been brought about by childhood issues and daddy and mommy issues and not being recognized by our parents or not being seen by our teachers or any of these sort of small scenarios that have become these big stories that we tell ourselves. And look, I suffered from this in a major way because in my 20s, I couldn't have enough businesses. I couldn't have enough cars and enough girls and enough houses. And when I really tracked it down to the point of it was I come from a single mom family and I didn't have a dad. And nobody said to me, hey, John, well done, boy. Well done on that. Nobody did that. And so what I did throughout yeah. my life was seek this validation. But the problem is, is that many people in this world today are seeking this validation, but then say, no, 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 I'm not seeking validation. What I'm doing is after quality products. Well, no, really, honestly, do you think a Louis Vuitton is quality products or is really something that you're wanting to prove who you are before anybody speaks to you? So for me, once you've done the work and once you've come down to the process of getting true to who you are and what you're about, you start to realize that you need very little. And really the truth is, is that when you are so engrossed in what you are so passionate and curious and fascinated with, that stuff's just noise. It's noise. And so what I did a few years ago, uh, maybe just two years ago, I decided that I wanted to live a luxurious, minimalist life. And so I wanted a very few things, but I wanted them to be the best. So my phone, my, my computer, my, I don't know, uh, suits that I wear on stage, and that's it. So I've got two suitcases, I'm nomadic, and I live this sort of life of luxurious minimalist. And uh, I think that this, again, the situation we're in right now is magnifying, again that recognition issue or that resentment issue and those sort of things. Absolutely. And I want to pull out something that you said, uh, that recognition from other people. Um, I talk about this a lot. Uh, obviously, my previous book was called uh, Do Fail, Learn, Repeat. And you and I have discussed failure a lot. Uh, people often ask me, how do you overcome that fear of failure? And like what the first thing I say is forget about other people. They don't care about you. They don't care if you fail. They don't care if you succeed. Fundamentally, in the best way possible, they don't care about you. You have to do the things you do because you want to do them, not because you're fearful someone else is going to see you do them. And I think yeah. that's such a, an important thing. Forget about other people, especially now. No one's in your house helping you. No one's looking at you. Well said. Two things. One, you know when you go to the beach and you're worried about your body? Guess what? Everybody's worried about their body. So let's just remember that because everybody's in the same boat, right? And the second thing is I read this fantastic uh, meme. It said, ego is like going to a restaurant, knowing what you want to eat, but then letting somebody else order for you. It's like, okay, well, that, that's the ego. It's like I, I ordered a meal that other that's people brilliant. think I eat. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, so I think it's a good timing to just answer another question from Yossi. He asked, what has been the best way or tools that you've used uh, to get through trauma, uh, either now or in the past? And I think let's just limit it to one or two that you can think of. Well, Yossi and I have shared a couple uh, South American shamanic um, <laughs> sessions together. That's a so, leading question, Yossi. Yeah, so uh, Yossi and I have shared some wonderful – that's where we became friends, actually. So, yes, shamanic work, um, I think, really dives into our subconscious more than like going to a shrink or psychologist, which I think are important. But really, the shamanic work goes into our psychology – I mean, subconscious much deeper. And the second thing is meditation. I am an avid meditator. I meditate two hours a day on average, sometimes an hour and a half. But I give myself about 24 to 36 hours off a week from meditation. But meditation, putting yourself into a state of theta brainwaves, really gives you that opportunity to explore other aspects of your consciousness. So I'll jump in on that one because uh, I genuinely don't think most people can relate to two hours of meditation a day. Uh, I think I'm closer to the norm. I try and do 10 minutes a day. 
just 10 minutes a day just to settle my mind and that gets me into the okay maybe i should do 20 minutes okay maybe i could do 30 minutes um but you don't have to if you're watching you don't have to do two hours a day sure. that's what john's led himself up to right he's he's no but he's taking me 15 exactly. years yeah yeah sure sorry yeah. i should have qualified that yes no no don't be sorry it's important yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um okay. cool. so Yuval harari goes to vipassana for 60 days a year 60 sits in absolute silence and so what does that tell you is that we've got this incredible level of access to i don't know some genius and if we are quiet for long enough we hear it that's it we've all got it we just need to absolutely. quiet enough Absolutely. So uh, you know that I'm recording a podcast as research for my third book, which luckily has not gone out of favor about curiosity. It's called The Curiosity Catalyst. I think now more than ever, people need to be curious about their lives. Um, and one of the people I was interviewing is one of my favorite people in the world is Eric Herzman. He's a Kenyan um, entrepreneur. He's built Brick, which is um, making Wi-Fi freely available to millions of people around the, the African continent, uh, as well as many others. Ushahidi, the tracks um, trauma around continents and is working in COVID. And I asked him, uh, how do you find what's, what makes you curious? And his answer blew me away. When he travels, he does not take out a device. If he's on a plane, he sits in his chair with his notebook and waits to see what he thinks about. And then he processes those thoughts. He believes that in boredom is where you find the magic. And it's so true, and he's not the first person to say it. It's between the works. It's between the moments when you're working that the magic happens. And there is actually research around this, that when you stop focusing on something, different parts of your brain apply mm. their mi your mind to it, and then you get different answers. If you constantly work at something and you're always on a screen and you're always fishing, you never quietly figure out the solutions. So, I mean, that's what meditation is for me. Well, look, I agree 100%. I also find it on runs. I find a lot of connections in my brain when I'm running. No music, just quietly in the forest I'm running. And really a lot starts sort of developing in my mind doing that as well. So, yes, whether it's meditation or being bored or running any other time, as long as you're giving that space, I think that's what's key. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I want to ask, don't you feel like because we've been doing the work for so long it's we're asking a lot of people who haven't right now is a global pandemic and a lot of people have just forgotten about that uh, we're working from home no we're not we're in a pandemic we're trapped in our homes and being forced to work there it's different to working from home we're asking people to change their perspective to do things to just develop all of a sudden because they're locked up in their houses um is it just easier for people like us because we've been doing it consistently? Is this the right time for people to be doing this work? Isn't, isn't it really hard to ask them to do it right now? Look, I think there's so many different types of people in the world and everybody's at a different stage of their development. You know, if you're feeling trapped, that's also indicative of where you are in your life. If you're feeling bad about things, that's also indicative of your survivor consciousness being triggered at a very low level. If you're thinking of this as an opportunity to create and reinvent yourself and look for new ways to come out into the world, that's indicative of where you are. I'm also very clear that my message is not for everybody. My, my work is not for everybody. And I learned this from Seth Godin that just released me of so much angst around certain people not buying into my books and not into my talks. And, I, and Seth Godin said something brilliant. He says, oh, you don't like my work. Oh, it just means it's not for you. Well, then there we go. And so, you know, I take this analogy quite a lot is that I'm a partner in Natasha's in Canal Walk which I don't think will be there after this COVID because I don't know, I don't know how this is going to work. But anyway, um, yeah. and I got up the escalator to get to the Tashers and I go past the Wimpy. And I look at the people uh, as I'm going up the escalator in the Wimpy and those people at Wimpy will never come to my Tashers because they determine what they eat based on price. And I determine at Tashers what I sell you based on experience. And so are they wrong? No. Am I wrong? No. It's just that's for them and this is for me. And this is exactly the same thing is, are you wanting to change? Great. Go for it. If you don't want and you feel pressured and trapped, stay where you are. And so that's kind of my answer to anybody who feels like it's too much. It's like, okay, maybe it is for you. And um, then don't read my stuff. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm a very honest, brutal guy and everyone who knows me is watching this feels the same. Uh, so cards on the table. Yesterday, I had my first work from bed day because uh, I just legitimately was exhausted and couldn't get myself out of bed. I didn't have it in me. Like my physical body, my mental body just 
I wasn't up for it. Uh, I, I had to do a live stream at 6 p.m. So I literally got up at five o'clock to shower and change and look like this. Um, yeah. So how, have you had a couple of those days in the lockdown? Uh, have you had ups and downs? Yeah, geez, let me tell you. I mean, I, I wrote about this again in the future now about the five stages of mourning. You know, it's grief, denial, anger, bargaining. And, uh, and I was actually telling a friend of mine, I'm running in the forest, in the most beautiful forest, and I'm having deep, angry arguments with people that aren't here, that are just in my head. And I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing? Like, but I realize when you have space, you get to bring these things up to the forefront. So yes, have I sobbed? I've sobbed twice, like sobbed when I watched the Spanish doctor talk about what's going on in Spain a few weeks ago. And I watched the Italian daughter talk about her grandmother dying and she couldn't be there. And now I've started finding myself crying around how violinists are going to, geez, I feel emotional now talking about it, violinists playing in hospitals or how yeah. a Spanish hospital stopped and started clapping this taxi driver coming in that's been giving everybody free lifts into the hospital. So I've been finding myself sobbing at times for different reasons, seriously angry for no, no reason at all. And then other times just not wanting to do anything, you know, not getting out of bed just like you had it last Sunday that I was just frustrated with the world. I was hating everybody on social media. You know, one of those days, like, what's this idiot saying this again? And what's this fool saying that again? So yes, a lot of uh, roller coasters happening. Absolutely. I'm just going to answer a question from Greg Barrow. Uh, hey, Greg, good to hear from you again. Uh, have I cried? Uh, no, I am not a crier <laughs> when it comes to these things. Uh, I have been extremely emotional, though. Uh, I've welled up a lot. Um, but I tend to be more analytical in my responses to these things. Um, and my default, uh, your default seems to be optimistic. My default is always more skeptical. I've always been that way. So um, when I see good deeds, I'm thankful for them. But for me, they're the outliers in this human world that we exist in. So I'm grateful that they exist, but they don't move me to tears. Uh, it's just the way I am. Not to say I'm not emotional about this. Uh, I'm, I'm actually having nightmares, claustrophobic nightmares, uh, because I, I, I live in a very small one bedroom apartment, 30 square meters with my partner, two big dogs. And I'm, I'm literally waking myself up every night because I'm in such a small space. So I don't cry, but I can't sleep. So there's this balance. We've all we've all got these things. Um, so the, the last question on the current and the personal, um, obviously, our president addressed the nation on Tuesday. Um, how did you feel about South Africa after that conversation? Well, look, uh, you know, it was so funny. Uh, 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 like a personal story is that, um, look, I'm a big fan of Cyril, because, uh, President Cyril, because of I just look at his eyes and his demeanor. And yes, some people say he moves slowly, but you know, you can see somebody who's kind. You can see that through their laughter and through their engagement off camera. And I've always been a fan of his. Um, I've become even more of a fan. And, and that's because we find certain people that have stepped up and certain people that have shied away. And we know another president in another part of the world that's totally become selfish and he was always selfish anyway, but we've seen our president become much more magnanimous and much bigger than he usually is. But after the talk uh, the other night, I got hold of the guy, uh, Iraj Abedian, who I'm writing the book with. And I said, yeah, Iraj, uh, Cyril's speech really sounded like our book. He says, yeah, I helped him write it. So somehow, <laughs> <laughs> so, if Iraj is friends with Tabo and Becky and Cyril Ramaphosa and that uh, Trevor Manuel, so he's part of that world. He's 65 years old, so he's part of that world, you know? So it's very in line with Future How, which was a total surprise for me because I had no idea Iraj had helped him. And so, yes, I'm very proud. I'm very optimistic. I, I understand that there's many challenges uh, in our country, but look, it's a fantastic opportunity to fast track getting the money out to people. It's fast-tracking new ways to collaborate. So I think he's got a hell of a hard job. But I'm also watching some leaders around the world, like the female presidents and, and sort of prime ministers around the world that are just shooting the lights out, doing such incredible work. And we're seeing other leaders crumble under this. And so it's just fascinating to be watching. But I'm proud of, of our president. I think he's doing a phenomenal job. 
Yeah, I, I think it's important for everyone to remember this is not a small business that he's trying to run. This is a country with nearly 60 million people and we've got the highest Gini coefficient in the world, which means the highest gap between the poor and the wealthy in the world. Um, so there is just so many different countries inside our country that he's trying to cater for. Um, so I, my default, again, is always to be like, oh, that did not make me feel good. I feel uncomfortable. We're in trouble. Uh, small business wasn't taken care of in that budget, in that speech. Like there's so many things, but I think you're right. Uh, I'm grateful that we don't have Zuma. Like that's Jeez. kind of the way that I'm that looking would, at it. You know what I mean? That would have been just terrible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been talking a lot with small business owners and entrepreneurs about what I've called the recovery curve. And uh, there's this massive misunderstanding from small business owners that the, the curve is going to look like this before, during this massive drop, and then straight back up to once lockdown is over. That is fundamentally a problem if you're thinking that way. So what are you considering when you're thinking about a recovery curve? Are you looking at six months, 12 months, two years? What's the what's the idea in your head? Wow. I mean, I think that's a big question. I, I You know, to be honest with you, it's not about recovery. It's about recalibration of bringing a new service to the market. I don't think okay. it's about just opening up your mom and pop shop hairdresser on the corner and wait for people to come back. I, I just don't think it's as simple as that. And if you're just waiting for this to end so you can go back to what you were doing before, you're missing the point. The point is, how do you rethink and recalibrate what service you're bringing to the world after this? You know, there's new opportunities being birthed. And the, the last time we had such a pandemic really was the, the, black, uh, the black Plague in the 1400s. And that what saw the end of feudalism and the beginning of the Italian Renaissance. And remember that we're going to be having a Renaissance after this. I don't think it's going back to normal. I don't, I don't, I don't see that. You know, that's just my perspective. But do you want to be part of the renaissance? Do you want to be redesigning what you're bringing across to the world rather than just waiting for it just to end? And so I don't, you know, I've started to stay away from those graphs of what it looks like and how I keep trying to urge people to try and figure out how new ways of adding value and what are the new ways that the consumers of the future will want to be able to dealt with, you know, and engage with the things that bring about new seamlessness or new personalization to consumers rather than just waiting and having a shop and waiting for people to arrive as and when they used to. Because remember, people will have less money and people will have uh, new uh, ideas of where they want to spend their money. And and I was reading that thing from Rupert. I'm sure you read it as well a little while back. He said that his mom and dad spending uh, personalities were devised from the war. And he says, we're going to come out of this with a new spending appetite. It's like, what do we spend on? When do we spend it? How much are we saving? So the whole thing's changing. So as small businesses, the question isn't for me, when does a curve end is, what are you redesigning to be able to, to deal with a new type of customer? Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, I think that uh, what you're talking about at the heart of it is being proactive versus reactive. And anyone who's being reactive right now is, is going to be struggling when this world doesn't open when they think it's going to open, when lockdown doesn't end on the 1st of May, when it extends for the next three years on and off. Uh, this is the new norm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we just we literally we legitimately don't know, right? We could we could go. Oh, we're in the red zone, and in 2022 November, sorry guys, we got to go back to lockdown. We yeah. literally don't know. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that's the key thing is so many people are trying to look for some kind of answer, firm answer. But tonight, when the president speaks to us, he's not going to declare the end of lockdown. Don't don't be waiting for that. You're just going to be sure. disappointed. I think it's human nature to look for familiarity. And there was a great, uh, there was a great new uh, quote that I read the other day is, um, we don't look for love, we look for familiarity. When we marry our spouse, we're not actually looking for love, we're looking for what's familiar in our families and what we deemed love was. And even if it was an abusive relationship, we repeat it because that's familiarity. So what we are doing hmm. as human beings, looking for familiarity of what was before. And that familiarity isn't going to be there. It's going to be a different world. So we need to redesign, you know. So for me, the whole thing and the whole reason I'm writing the trilogy of books is to urge people to ask new questions. Not why did this happen, but how do I show up differently? Swapping the why for the how. And that's kind of the, the, the beginning of you designing for the future or waiting for the past to come back. You'll see I'm waiting. Agree. It's 
<laughs> You're always stirring shit, Yossi. Jeez, man. Um, that's why I've been talking about two things to, to small business owners. Uh, you need to get your business ready for uncertainty and adaptability. Those, for me, are the only things we can expect in the coming two years, that everything is going to be uncertain and you need to be really good at adapting. And I think that's why the people I know, the entrepreneurs I know, are actually quite comfortable in this uncertainty because if you're an entrepreneur, you know. Tomorrow I might lose my biggest clients, my favorite employee might resign, I might not have any money, I'll have the best day of my career and then the worst day of my career. Uh, but people who are career professionals, they're just used to stability. And we're not living in a world of stability anymore. We're living in a world of uncertainty. And if you're yeah. familiar with that and you become familiar with that, you will be more comfortable in this world of uncertainty. Well, look, I think the world we come from, again, was this linear industrial revolution is go to school, get a degree, go to get a job, um, retire and die. Right. So and a lot of people are panicking about job losses. And my response to that is, isn't it time for you to start servicing a different type of client uh, in a networked business where you start yeah. a, a parallel type of business rather than a hierarchical one? And so really the new world is about this flat line sharing economy rather than the sort of hierarchical world that we come from. So it's again, it's a, the fundamental paradigm shift we need to have as human beings to start designing a world not based on an overheated industrial revolution linear world, but a multi-adaptive, multi-faceted quantum world that we're moving into that's also going to be changing like this. You know, you think you're doing a business for two years, not even two years. In a year's time, it can be irrelevant. It's like that quickly how it's going, you know. So adaptability is absolutely key. AQ, adaptable quotient, is by far the most important yeah. thing. I mean, absolutely. My life is the prime example for me in this is January. I decided to shift full time into being a storyteller, speaker, author, doing all these things. And all the gigs I booked until the end of August were gone. That was a brand new career in January is now completely changed and now shifted with the technology, with this. We're mm -hmm. live beaming to every corner of the world. Uh, things mm. are really crazy. Uh, so uh, one of my favorite questions, uh, this is actually, I've stolen this quote from Jeff Bezos. He says he often gets asked what's going to change in the next 10 years, but it's more interesting to him. No one asks him what's not going to change in the next 10 years. So I'm going to ask you that question. You are focused on the future. You're focused on change, but I'm much more interested in the things that aren't going to change uh, in the next two or three years. Well, look, for me, the most important thing that we can focus on right now is the fact that human nature is never going to change. The 19 influenza epidemic didn't change human nature. The, um, the sort of black plague didn't change human nature. And so human nature for me is the fundamental thing of connection, of trust, of reciprocity. These things will never change because no matter what happens, we want to come together and we want to be able to give back to our communities and maybe even more than ever before reciprocity and trust become a more important currency as we start building new communities after this. So what's not going to change for me is wanting to hang with my buddies and want to go out with a girl and go to a restaurant and go and relax and, and just combine and have um common interests with people around me. I was reading a, a great article the other day about Denmark and Denmark has got some of the happiest people in the world, but you know what it's also got? It's got the highest number of membership groups per capita. An average person in Denmark is connected to 3.7 membership groups. So on a Monday night, wow. they go and they meet with astrology people. And then on a Wednesday night, they go and meet with people that love saunaing. And on a Thursday night, they meet people in a book club. And so that commonality where you meet groups of people that have got common interests in you, that you can just combine your interests and spend a bit of time with them, I think is going to flourish after this. And if I think about you and me and our relationship, we've got this very common sort of goal of wanting to do more. And so that becomes our common insight. And now we come together, we discuss that, and then we leave. And then you have other friends that you discuss other things with. I imagine that those things will become bigger and bigger so that we have more commonalities and create more groups that we can be part of and then reinforcing human nature of collaboration, reciprocity and wanting socializing with, with each other. Look, I'm having a great time at the farm, but I miss going and seeing my friends and I miss being going on a date and I miss these sort of smaller humanistic sort of uh, touch points. So those won't change ever. So two things on that. One, I actually spoke to a friend of mine who lives in Copenhagen uh, yesterday, and he he was saying that they were the first country after Italy to lock down, uh, and they've done such a good job at controlling COVID that they have done too good of a job. 
their hospitals are empty. There is no one coming in. So they haven't squashed it, but they also haven't actually flattened the curve. They've just made the curve non-existent. So now they've opened up again and they're letting people go out to try and get infected so that they can get them through this curve. Um, so it's it's amazing how many countries how countries have dealt with this in different ways. But he was saying the same thing. He just wants to go and sit outside his favorite cafe with his friends and have a glass of wine. Um, so Look, it's um, incredible that you mentioned that. It's so funny because I spoke to Copenhagen yesterday. I'm an associate partner at Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, and I spoke to yeah. the group that we talked for them. And their kids started going to school yesterday. Yeah, 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 and nuts. I'm like, these kids. It's yeah. like, but we've seen that no kids have gotten. They said the whole of Denmark, one kid has died. It's mostly older yeah. people. So yeah, they've got a new way of going about things. You had another point. Sorry, I interjected. Yeah. So the second point is, uh, and so I just mentioned that I default to skepticism and you default to optimism. I fully agree with you that what's not going to change is human nature and the negative side of it too. I think we think people are wanting to change, but fundamentally people like what they like. They like to shake hands and hug. We're not going to get rid of hugs and shaking hands. Uh, and America is the prime example of this right now. They serve personal liberty over anything else. Even though more people in New York have died, I think it's eight times now than in 9-11, they still don't care. They still believe in personal liberty over everything else. So I think the positive, you're right. Human nature is not going to change. Positively, we still want to hang out. Negatively, we still don't care about anyone else. Fundamentally, there is a huge portion of the world who doesn't care about other people. And the look, showing of that is half of America. Look, I, I, I think this is duality in action. You know what I mean? I want to believe in reciprocity. You're like, what's that dodgy person doing there? Why are they doing that for me? What's, what are they after? And I guess that's just the battle. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, absolutely agree. So let's let's answer some questions from from our audience. Um, so John, what's your understanding of what this new world is going to look like from Robin? That was one of my questions too. Okay, look. So Robin, um, I don't think anybody can tell you that. Uh, Singapore has just gone down on another four weeks of lockdown. They they thought they had everything under control. My cousin lives in Singapore. I had a call with him three we three weeks ago. I said, "How's everything in Singapore?" He says, "No, we sussed." Everything's fine. Life's normal. Mm. We've got money. The country's in a good shape. And then just went on to four weeks, four weeks lockdown. In fact, my cousin's wife messaged yesterday that they've now been extended to the 1st of June, which makes that lockdown even longer. So what does it look like? I have no idea. What I do think right now is that we are in the eye of the storm. The storm is whirling around us. We have no idea what's going to happen, what it's going to pull out of us and swing us into what type of future. I think all of us can ultimately just stay put, stay centered, try and do whatever it is that you can recalibrate and rethink what sort of service you can come up with after this, try and survive this out and let's see what comes out of it. Look, every type of world will come out of it. There won't be one type of world. You know, there will be the next world and there'll be my world. And both of those worlds will live and coexist next to each other. And that will always be yeah. the case. So I don't think there's one answer for that. In fact, I was asked to write an essay for a London a publication, Fast Future, and they rejected my essay. And I responded and said, I understand why you've rejected my essay because I'm not giving you any sort of um, idea of what post Yeah, no, I can't, I can't tell you what post-pandemic is, but I said, who can? And if anybody is, all they're doing is building you three scenarios, total isolation, totally open or halfway between. I mean, what else can you say? And so I said, yeah. I understand why you're thinking it, but why would you even want to advise people to go back to the norm? Why don't we try and create something new together? So, Robin, the question is a big question, but I don't think anybody can answer it at the moment. Cool. I'm going to carry on with the questions from the audience. Uh, Greg, again, um, how do you filter out all the COVID info overload um, that's basing your decisions, uh, like, you know, facts and science? Um, what's the plan here? And I'll start, actually. My, my view is to cut out most of it. I cannot obsessively read about this all the time. My anxiety levels naturally are like here. I work really hard to bring them down uh, and there's no need to continually do this to yourself. So punishing myself with the news is not something I do. I stick to scientists, reputable scientists that other scientists agree with. I am a fact-based atheist through and through. If, you, if it's not science, it's not for me. That's how I look at it. Very good. Nick, just a quick tip on to bring your anxiety down is look for reciprocity rather than dodgy people. That'll always make you feel better. 
just a joke. Um, so look, uh, oh, it's, it's, I do agree with that though. I mean, we 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 must talk about humans just now and and how I've analyzed yeah. people in my life and like yeah. whether I keep them around or not and what they do for me mentally and physically. Like I'm sure you do the same, and we can address that just now. Okay, cool. But look, I'm, I'm exactly the same as you. I give news ten minutes a day. I just yeah. give it sort of like I just want to understand what the latest laws are in my immediate environment. What are the numbers looking like? What are the tracks? Like what's Copenhagen doing and what's American New York doing and those sort of places? I watch a little bit of um, uh, a range of news channels. Just try to pick up from BBC, Al Jazeera, trying to avoid CNN at all costs, but just trying to pick up little bits and pieces here and then shut off and go into um, the state of writing and creativity and creator. And remember that the news always invokes three emotions in us, feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling angry for people, towards people, or feeling sorry for people. And all three of those characteristics are well-documented drama triangle characteristics. They are the victim mindset. I feel bad for myself. I feel sorry for other people. And I'm angry with other people. Those three characteristics show us that we are in a junior consciousness and require that addiction to drama just to fuel ourselves for the day. So news is based on triggering those three. So I try and avoid it as much as I can, 10 minutes a day. And again, 10 minutes a day and then 10 minutes to discuss the 10 minutes and then leave it because you can also get caught up in discussing it for three hours with different people. And every call you get on with somebody else, it's so you go through the same process again. So try and avoid that as well, Greg. So I, I have 10 mechanisms that I live by. They're like my 10 guiding principles. And one of them is strong opinions weekly held. Uh, so it's okay to have strong opinions about something, to have the science back you. And South Africa and our mask opinion was a great example of this. Nobody spoke about masks. Masks aren't going to help anything. Masks aren't a big deal. And then all of a sudden, the science turned in the direction of masks. And then you need to embrace masks because the science backs that up. So I think what, what I've been doing while studying curiosity is finding out that uh, the study and the belief in curiosity, just practicing curiosity, actually moves you away from confirmation bias which is an amazing thing. Let's break that out practically. What that means is ask why. I believe this. Why do I believe this? Who else believes this? Is there anyone else who disagrees with this? And if you're curious, you stop finding facts that agree with you and you start finding facts that disagree with you. And then you can find a middle ground. And I think in a time like this, you can't go, I always think masks are wrong. You can say, for now, the science indicates that masks aren't helping. Oh, crap. Okay, the science has changed. Cool. Masks are the thing. So just open yourself up to curiosity and don't read the same stuff all the time. Read different things. That's going to help you a lot. Look, I think the term that I've started to land on is be a possibilist. So it's almost like, okay. you know, optimism is just blindly going where the light is shining. Pessimism is going kind of where everything's dark. Realists are very science-based fact without any imagination. And I think a little bit of imagination is necessary to create some sort of color in the world. So possibilist, and I've been discovering this word more and more as I'm writing my next book is be a possibilist, look for the options, look what could be possible, engage with many people as possible. Because remember, we believe stories and narratives that have been handed down to us. And so these stories mm. and narratives started off as whispers and eventually became, that's how it's always been. No, it's not how it's always been. You know, slavery was normal. So was apartheid. So was child labor. So was women not voting. Those were facts and were part of society and they've all changed. So what narratives are we holding on to without even realizing we're holding on to them? And when you start opening up your perspective like that, it changes so much that you realize that you're trapped within your own narratives and societal narratives. And that's exactly why I wrote Future How is because the narrative needs to change and we need to all become possibilists in developing a collective new narrative. But then again, that might be leaning towards optimism, Nick, where you might be thinking, shit, that's a whole a lot of hard work. Are you going to get the American Wall Street to change their tune? But we also see, you know, we need a collective sort of perspective shift. Yeah, I think that's happening whether we like it or not, this perspective shift um, that you talk about. Uh, so a question from Kateko, uh, different attitudes and personalities are coming out during this time, which makes me realize now that I also need to surround myself with new different people. Uh, any tips from you, John, on how to do this? Which it's a, it's a good question. I mean, it's such a basic question, but such a good one. So look, I've, I've spoken about this before and uh, I've written about it. And it's you don't have to look for the people you want to hang with. You must become the people you want to hang with and they automatically arrive. 
it's the most weirdest thing is that I was actually journaling yesterday about the fact that I'm writing a book with somebody who helped President Cyril Ramaphosa write his speech without knowing it. I, I didn't know that. But because I'm so into my f fascination, I'm writing about it so deeply and working so hard on it. These people arrive without even trying and you find yourself on the same wavelength without even trying. So it's not about looking for new types of people to hang with. It's about designing who you want to be and working out how to develop that character through rituals and habits and behaviors. And then slowly but surely what starts to happen, firstly, your bad habits fall away the more you focus on who you want to be. And then once you start moving that journey towards who you want to be, the people around you change because that's what happens. Birds of a feather stick together. And it's not about sort of leaving behind people from your past that were bad. It's just focus on who you want to be and let people just fade away. So move away from to-do lists to to-be lists and build a to-be list of who you want to be and how you want to show up. Absolutely. Um, everyone is familiar with that phrase, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I don't agree with that. I want to tweak on that one. I think you become the worst parts of the five people you spend the most time with. So you pick up their worst habits, right? So what my statement is, think about the worst parts of your five closest friends and do you like them? Because you're going to be them in five years. So you better find the best people you can be around and pick up their worst habits. And I'll give you some examples. Um, one of my best friends is David Perrell. He is a professional Ferrari racing driver. I have never met a more driven and stubborn human in my life. And if his <laughs> worst quality is that he's stubborn, I'm, I'm in. He's the kind of guy I want to be around because that's okay with me. He's not an idiot. He's not an asshole. He's open-minded, but he's stubborn as hell. And that's I can deal with that. But he's also ambitious. So like you're saying, become the kind of people you want to be around. He's ambitious. I'm ambitious, we attract towards one another, all of our friends are ambitious, we're all thinkers. That's the kind of people you need to want to be around and then become, and then you, you start to attract them. And then the rest of the people fall away because they don't like the new you. And those are the kinds of people who go, what are you talking about? That's rubbish. Then those people need to just slowly, quietly fall away because you're different. But you also can't force your way into a group of people. Like, you know, that's oh, also agreed, like, agreed again. with you guys, please. It's like, no, you can't hang with us. It's almost like show up to yeah. the fact that, you know, and then you can be invited in naturally. So yeah, great point. I like 100%. that. What about the best characteristics of those five people? Why wouldn't you become that? Like, that's an interesting you will. point. I think by default, by default, you will become those things, but no uh, one remembers the worst parts. Oh, you all God. ignore the worst parts. Yeah. Uh, we just, because what I don't think people realize is that statement of you, you become the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Yeah, that means the worst parts too, not the best parts. So I'm saying focus on the worst parts of the people you're spending time with and see if you like those. Because if you don't like them, you need to move away quickly, very quickly. Okay, good. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, I like that. Good, good. Nice point. Thank you so much. Mm. Um, so I don't have a particularly great answer to this uh, next question from Natasha. Uh, any leaders, speakers, scientists, or people that we should be watching or taking insights from right now or articles or websites that you're following, John? Um, yep. Look, a big fan. I'm a big fan of Yuval Harari. Uh, he's on a lot of interviews at the moment. He's got a very clear um, oh. balance, response to many questions. He's a big thinker. So he's a, I'm yep. a big fan of him. Professor um, Galloway. Uh, Prof G, oh. I think the website's uh, called. Prof G. Prof G is on it. He's got a lot, he's very like, um, he takes, he, he challenges a lot of the norms. Uh, I enjoy what he has to say. Ray Dalio has got an old grandfather way of thinking about things, but I also enjoy his process of, of, uh, of explaining things in a, in a big holistic historical, you know, he's such a big mm. thinker that he, he dates things back to hundreds of years ago, and then he shows you the, the sort of cycles that we're in. So those three, for me, are really interesting. Um, and yeah, those are the three that are really inspiring me at the moment. Um, From a news perspective, uh, locally, I've read nothing but Daily Maverick for the last six weeks. Um, yeah. I am a huge fan. I'm one of their subscribers. I pay to keep them alive happily because they have got balanced, honest, open, real journalism uh, more than I've seen in this country for the last decade. And that team deserves all of the praise that they get. It's just phenomenal. Uh, when, when is your side hustle interview there? 
it is on the 30th of uh, this month, next week, I will be doing a side hustle webinar with them talking about my latest book, How to Start a Side Hustle. Um, that, uh, that link I will post shortly somewhere. And my, can find my, my second interview with them is tomorrow at uh, 2, where oh, I'm uh, combining the interview with Iraj. And we're doing a joint interview. And then they've now booked me for Future Next as well in three weeks. So I'll be talking about pressure. They book you for the interview before the book is done. So now all of a sudden the book has to be done. So I've been working feverishly to try and finish Future How in time for that to be sort of ready for tomorrow's yeah. interview. Mm. And they know how to draw a crowd. I mean, they're getting some big numbers in their live streams. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So uh, from Quentin, John, do you see some kind of big positive or advantage for South Africa out of all of this? Yes, I was saying that yesterday. The time to rewrite the rules, and you heard you heard um, President Cyril Ramaphosa say that in his speech, and that's why it's actually message Iraz. I said, "How did he say that?" He's like, "It's time to rethink and restage the rules that define our society and our economy." And what a better time to do it now, especially with his understanding of business and economics and having the people around him, like the Trevor Manuals of the world, which I'm also a big fan of, with that sort of astute, um, pragmatic, uh, fair and just approach. Um, and I think those sort of old school politicians that came uh, from the old school, but with the, the right intentions, are now going to start helping reshape uh, the economic situation that we have right now. And look, like you said, Nick, we have the biggest disparity between, between wealth and poverty. And we've had a horrible time with Zuma for eight years. And so we really have to fix all those things and, and, try to, and try to come together to try and sort them out. And I think this is a great opportunity for us to do that. And I want to be a part of it and to build a new narrative with the rest of us South Africans. So yes, can we sit on the sidelines and wait for it to happen? No. Must we become part of it to create it together? I think that is about taking the responsibility as an active citizen, a consumer activist, and somebody that wants to see a better world for the whole of South Africa, rather than having gated communities with 25 million people starving every day and not having jobs. That's just not sustainable. And, you know, the, the French Revolution happened because that disparity got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so, yes, there's violent crimes. Why? Because people are hungry and people are frustrated. And so the rules have to be rewritten. And it's nobody's fault. It's not about pointing fingers. It's about redesigning together and trying to build a bigger middle class and a fairer and just society. Yeah, and I think taking that down to the individual is also quite an interesting thought experiment. And what I'm trying to help a lot of people understand, that if you're not going to experiment now with the way you do things and the way you exist in the world, when are you? Now is the time. If you're not drinking that bottle of champagne you've been saving for a special occasion in a global pandemic and an economic meltdown, when is better? Drink yeah. the wine, drink the champagne, change the way you see the world, redo things. You're not a tree. Your roots are not embedded in the ground. You can stand up and move to the left. And if you're not doing that now, you probably never will. So now is the time. You've got nothing to lose. The world is never going to get stranger than it is today. So why not, as an individual, participate actively? I, I love that you started off with drink a bottle of wine, drink a bottle of champagne, and then change the world. Does it have to change the world? It does. It absolutely does. <laughs> Except not if you're in South Africa because you can't buy alcohol. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. True. That's good. Um, okay, I think I think we have a time for some closing messages, John. Uh, there are some questions we didn't get to, but we covered most of them. Uh, so as a, a couple of things, obviously, uh, give us your closing sentiment and what you would say to everyone when you leave, and then tell us where we can find you uh, and where the best place is to locate all of your stuff. Thank you, Nick. I mean, this has really been fun, and thank you so much for hosting me. I think ultimately, and something that I've been speaking about for a long time, is uh, responsibility for ourselves, is really start to build up the responsibility within ourselves to build, design, recalibrate, rethink, reinvent how we come up into this new world. Waiting for this to end, to go back to where you were before it started, you are just missing a huge gift and a new opportunity. So if you are stuck in the drama triangle of feeling sorry for yourself, being angry, or trying to save somebody and feeling sorry for them rather than being empathetic and empowering them, you're just fooling yourself. And so take the responsibility to show up in a new way. And that's let's all become active participants of the society we want to build rather than sitting on the sidelines and bitching and moaning about that person, that government, and that thing. So for me, ultimately, it's that. 
Uh, where can you find me? Um, out of the seven and a half billion people in the world, uh, there's only one John Sane, and I've checked, which is unbelievable because uh, what a gift. I mean, what a, how did that happen? So, um, you lucky bastard. You Google me, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Insta, I'm on Facebook, I'm constantly sharing, vlogging, like, you know, like Nick. I've got a lot to say. And also, I, I practice a, a, a process from Feng Shui that says, in order to bring anything new in, you need to get rid of the old. So as you expel information, new information comes in. So join me on those channels. Love to see you all there. And uh, let's get into conversations that we can all be participating in. Great. Uh, yeah, so from my side, much like John, uh, find me on LinkedIn. That's where I'm doing most of my social activity at the moment. You're on Crowdcast right now. Click on my name. You can follow me. I host streams two, three times a week. Um, and once we're off here, I'm going to add everyone to my newsletter and John will do the same. So you'll automatically be getting updates from us. Please, if you don't want to just unsubscribe when you get the first one. John, as always, never a dull conversation. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to your other live streams with Daily Maverick and your books. And we'll chat soon. I look forward to it. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Nick. Ciao. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for listening to that live recorded webinar episode. That is one of the series of curiously quarantined episodes that I have made available to you while I record season two of the Curious Cult Show, which will be focused on starting something. That season comes out really soon, so please keep a lookout for that. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Please share, like, review and give us some love anywhere you can think of on the interwebs.